Blog Talk Radio. If you're listening in on the show's website, which is blogtalkradio.com, forward slash Captain Eddie, that's C-A-P-T, abbreviation for Captain, Captain Eddie, C-A-P-T-E-D-D-I-E, and you'd like to make a call, talk to us live on the air with our guests, host, or just to add your comments, memories, then why not call us? Our phone number is area code 213 
213-816-1611. That's 213-816-1611. And as the producer, I'll see your number on the caller's board and ask if you'd like to join the host and share those memories with us. You know, we are a satellite-based radio station and heard around the world. And as a matter of fact, we have listeners in over 50 countries that we've identified. Our broadcasting antenna is over 22,000 feet, I should say miles, excuse me, 22,000 miles above the earth. And let's repeat the number if you'd like to add your comments to our listening audience. Again, 213-816-1611. Call us now. We have a guest today that has been on the bestsellers list, and rightfully so, Captain Laura Savino. Hello, Laura. Hello, Neil. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. And if you don't mind, I'd like to do this little introductory of you, and then we'll get into get into our, uh, our, 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 our program and learn more and more about uh, your remarkable career. You know, it says in, uh, on the Internet, when I looked uh, about the, Laura's background, she calls herself, I'm just a regular girl living a regular life, doing what works for me. <laughs> that sounds uh, kind of like uh, just like a regular girl. And she goes on to say, I piloted the Boeing 777, 767, 757, 747, 737, 727, Golly, Pete's just about all the 700 series of Boeing. And then she did Airbus A319 and the A320 as an international airline pilot and captain for United Airlines. She says, I flew for Eastern and Pan Am regionals before that on my way to becoming an airline pilot. I worked as a flight instructor, a charter pilot, a freight pilot, aerial sightseeing, tour pilot, and aircraft repossessor now we got to find out about that that sounds interesting alone repossessor i've flown planes as tiny as a car and wide-bodied aircraft larger than a football field today only five percent of pilots are female a number essentially unchanged since amelia Earhart's era she says of those less than one percent they're captains I want to change this. She says, my dream now is to help other young women rock STEM fields, S-T-E-M. We're going to find out all about that, too, when we interview and talk with Laura. She also says that I'm a chairman of the 99s, an international organization of women pilots and scholarship chairman for the Mid-Atlantic Section. Active member of the ISA Plus 21, which is the International Society of Women Airline Pilots, and of the WAI, which is the Women in Aviation Organization International. Published aviation author and first place winner in the Penn Writers Conference Competition. I'm a motivational speaker and STEM education advocate available to speak at schools and here she, are. Here she is on our radio show. We are very, very happy to have you, Laura, uh, with us for our, our show today. And uh, well, she has also you. written a book, a great book. And uh, matter of fact, I got an email today, this morning. Uh, I'll find his name here in the middle of my notes. 
but he said he ordered your book this morning. So uh, Mark Todd, that was his name, Mark Todd. And so Jet Boss is the name of that book. So we want you to uh, look on the Internet, and, and, and uh, Laura will tell us an easy way of getting uh, her book to you. As usual, we have hosts from around the U.S. that join us in the, these airline radio talk shows. And so before we get into our program, let's play some Christmas music to make the season bright and find out who our callers on the board are right now, or our host. So I'm going to introduce just a little bit of this music just to get us uh, in the mood for the Christmas spirit if we're not in the mood already. Here it is. just a minute we also have uh, in Canada Toronto Canada I guess that's probably one of the first uh, areas that Santa moves the, the reindeers across right uh, Brenda, Brenda <laughs> there you go <laughs> hello everybody and, do, do you have snow on the ground there Brenda actually no no it's uh, we haven't had snow yet so it's been quite warm you know it's kind of odd Hope we have snow yeah. for Christmas. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, good having you with us, Brenda. Thanks so much. And as thank as, you, uh, I think every all of most all of our listeners know that Brenda is also the editor of the Silverliners International magazine, and a, a it should be a Pulitzer Prize winning magazine because it's a, <laughs> a tremendous organizational publication. And I see uh, we have. Uh, uh, Margaret Bars, way out there in the panhandle of Florida. Uh, Margaret, how are you doing? And you're over in the Pensacola area. I am. I'm doing well. I hope everyone else is doing well. And it's beautiful over here. Uh, Even though it's going to be partly cloudy today, we still are going to have a high of 76. So if you're cold, (laughs) come on down to Pensacola. <laughs> and while you're there, don't forget to go through the Naval Museum. What a wonderful uh, museum it is! It's uh, probably, uh, I think it used to be bigger than the Smithsonian, uh, the Aerospace Institute uh, Museum. Wow. At one oh, time. did it? I didn't when know When I was that. living over yeah. there, yeah. And um, yeah, great town. Okay, and I see area code nine zero eight. Who might that be? Area code nine zero eight. It's Sharon Moore. 
Sharon, good to hear you again this week. Thanks for, for being with us. Where are you, Sharon? I'm still in Lake Worth, Florida right now. <laughs> okay. Lake Worth now. That would be in the center of the state or on the east coast? I think no, it's it south of West Palm Beach. On the, oh, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I get all these lakes mixed up, Lake Wales, uh, like uh, <laughs> yeah, and especially uh, uh, your lake <laughs> and one up there in Orlando, and I've forgotten the name of that. But I've uh, been to many sun and fun air shows and circle around. I think it's Lake Murray or something like that. And uh, But at any rate, uh, good to have you with us, Sharon. Okay, Jim Harris, Captain Jim Harris just popped up on my producer's board. So, Jim Harris, how, is, uh, how are things out there in Dripping Springs, Texas? Hey, good morning, Neil. It's another wonderful day here in the hood. It's a pleasant uh, 72 degrees. It's um, overcast, no wind, been drizzling a little bit. By the way, it's another wonderful day in the here in the hood. Yeah. Oh, and, well. and, and by the way, it, oh, it's it's 12 minutes after noon. Jeff, 12 minutes after noon time, and, uh, and Jim sat down in his chair and went to sleep, and he only just woke up. So here I am now, wide awake. You got a lot of pressure on you, Jim. <laughs> I know it. Oh, it's a tough yeah. life, Neil. It's a tough it's life. Uh, okay, uh, I, well, but I'm doing I'm doing the best I can, though. No, uh, well, way out there where you are in Texas in the uh, hill country, uh, it's it's beautiful. I visited you on Google Earth, and uh, what a beautiful spread you have! My golly. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, now, before we talk with Laura. Here's one little song that I found that uh, that uh, Santa now uses an airplane in his travels. So let's see what this is all about. Christmas Eve this year And you're waiting for that pudgy person to appear Instead of the patter of tiny feet You'll hear chimney with ease parachutes the package to the whole family it's Santa's air special delivery to under your tree Thank 
control. A bunch of sleepy helpers waiting back at the pole. They know where they are, cause they navigate by the stars. We know Santa can loop, <laughs> but does, any, does anyone know who the singers were? I thought the Beach Boys. It yeah, sounds like the Beach Boys. It, it, my yes, golly. It. Yeah, the Beach Boys. Have you ever heard that song by the Beach Boys? <laughs> I, I've I, never heard I never that have. song, but that sounds like the Beach Boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we've got a new one here to introduce every year, Christmas time, Santa's new airplane here. Okay, now, thank you very much, Captain Laura Savino, for being with us today. Uh, oh, thank you so much for inviting me. Well, we've got a lot of questions, and uh, I'm going to uh, start out by asking Captain Jim Harris if he'll ask the first question that we'd like to know. And uh, Jim Harris, what what's your question for Laura? Well, today I was wondering what kind of airplane she's flying, how long she's been doing it. Uh, is she well-received by everyone for doing what she does? So it's the best job in the world. Whatever yeah. you're flying, yeah. it's, it's the best. It's your favorite. That's right. That's right. Whichever plane you're on, that, that's your favorite. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the only plane I was almost ever on was a Boeing 727, and uh, I don't have any doubt it's the best airplane in the sky. It never, ever let me down for anything. Yep. Whisper jet. Yeah, it's a classic. That was a workhorse for sure for many, many years oh, yeah. in the airline industry. Yep, 25 years and 20,000 hours. Oh, so you know it. I, I was a flight engineer in the 27, but that was as far as I got on that. <laughs> yep. Back, uh, well, I, I was all three seats. I was all three seats, flight engineer, uh, co-pilot, and captain. I can't believe. Jim, Jim, I can't believe that you didn't fly any other airplane with Eastern Airlines besides the 727. That's hard to believe. Oh, you well, were on the Electra, um, weren't you? Well, I was. I was a flight engineer on the Electra for two years. Yeah, oh, and of course, of course, you see, uh, all of the captains on the on the Electra were were junior because it's a least playing air, least playing airplane at the time. So they were all junior, and they always left uh, let us uh, flight engineers. Get in a little flying time with them. So it's a it's another great airplane too. It flew like, flew like a baby too. It sure would yeah. stop. Well, listen, I want to find out how Laura got interested in in uh, in flying airplanes. So Laura, tell us your story here. My story how I got how I started flying. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, sure, sure. So it's pr- probably a little different than your story. So. Um, Let's see here. So I was a child of the 60s, grew up in the 70s, and um, as you gentlemen know, and ladies, um, back then there were not any female pilots, um, just wasn't a thing, 
and uh, they, they weren't allowed to fly in the military. It was extremely restricted. And so um, th there really wasn't a pathway to the airlines for women back then. And I, I grew up in a small town, New Providence, New Jersey, and I had never met a pilot, never met anyone who had ever met a pilot. And, um, you know, the airline industry is like one of these occupations where it's kind of a, like a legacy occupation. Most pilots, at least back then, came from a, 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 an aviation family, you know, either military or their dad was or an uncle or somebody was an airline pilot. So I didn't have any of that. You know, the whole see it to be it didn't exist back then. And, you know, you guys can also relate. This is back in the Stone Ages before there was the Internet. And you really didn't know anything that wasn't actually a part of your life, you know, something that you could see or experience, you know, yourself. Um, or maybe your parents told you about, or maybe a teacher, but, but that was it. It was pretty, it was pretty small, you know, the bubble that people lived in. So what happened for me was I had no exposure to aviation. It was never on my radar. And then when I got into high school, um, and I got my driver's license, I was a little adventurous. I took my mom's old station wagon one day and I went out exploring and I found uh, an airport, a general aviation airport, not too far from my house, Morristown Municipal, and just walking around the airport, kind of exploring and probably going where I wasn't supposed to go, I stumbled into a flight school and I had absolutely no idea there was such a thing as flight schools. I knew you could take piano lessons or, you know, ballet lessons or whatever. I didn't know you could take flying lessons. And I don't think I knew anyone that knew that. So um, that was it. I, I For 20 bucks, I got up uh, on what was a discovery flight. And then, you know how it is when you're a pilot. You either get the bug or you don't get the bug. And I definitely caught it that day and was just, you know, compelled to figure out a way to, like, get back up in the airplane. And um, I didn't have any money, and I couldn't really tell my parents or anyone at school because I figured they would just laugh at me. So I ended up getting a job at the airport working as a dispatcher for for this flight school, and I worked my way through lessons. Um, and by the time I graduated from high school, I had my private pilot's license. And, um, you know, from there, I just kept moving forward. But honestly, you know, I think the the biggest factor that really got me into aviation was obviously how much fun it was, but it was the um, the aviation community at the airport. Uh, for the first time ever, I could just, like, really be me. Like, I didn't have to, you know, follow the rules. I was brought up in a very traditional home. I love my parents. But, you know, like, very traditional. We were Italian. We were Catholic. You know, girls were girls, boys were boys, and I wasn't allowed to like like airplanes or cars or anything like that. And at the airport, nobody treated me like that. It was like, oh, you like airplanes? We do too. And I was just a part of something that I hadn't been a part of before. And that community, I think, was probably the biggest factor in, you know, just really helping me move forward and uh, get to where I eventually got to. And that's it. Very, that's how I got started. Very good. You know, as a captain mm -hmm. with Eastern Airlines, uh, and uh, Captain Harrison knows, uh, uh, I'm interested in the fact that you flew with Eastern. Can you tell us about that part of your flying, Eastern and Pan Am? Yes. Yeah, so, um, so I flew for the regionals. So back, so back then, um, you had to have thousands and thousands of hours before a legacy carrier, you know, like United Delta American, would even, like, 
consider your application. And um, to do that, you had to do all sorts of jobs that a lot of them, you know, don't exist anymore or, you know, or have been regulated out and they're a lot safer, so they don't exist for, you know, different reasons. But once you had enough hours, which I built, you know, possessed, repossessing aircraft and I worked for a banner towing company at the shore and um, as a flight instructor and charter pilots, we canceled checks, all these, all these crazy jobs. And once I had enough flight hours um, to get hired by an airline, the first airline I ever got hired by was Eastern and Eastern Airlines in the 80s, but their, their regional branch, which is, we call them commuters back then, but today they call them regionals. And those are these smaller aircraft that are painted just like the, the larger aircraft, but they're actually separate companies. And for Eastern, Eastern Express, um, I flew, uh, basically what we do is we feed um, uh, the larger, like international airports from the smaller airports that the big jets can't get into. So I would fly passengers from like, um, like Rochester, Lebanon, Rutland, Montpelier, Buffalo, you know, those smaller airports uh, that had mountainous terrain and on precision approaches, we would hand fly everything and we would feed passengers to the larger airports like JFK, Philly, DC, Boston, LaGuardia. And uh, that was, that was my job. Yeah. So that was, that's how I got started. And then Eastern and Frank Lorenzo came in and of course there was a strike and then we all got furloughed and, you know, and it all, all came to a very, very sudden stop. As as a, a note here, uh, my daughter-in-law, my son's wife, uh, she went through all sorts of educational years here. She's from Finland, and uh, she came here and started flying, got her flying uh, her, her certificates, basic uh, commercial and the instrument, and then. Uh, as she went out to California, my son instructed her for instructor uh, rating, and she uh, couldn't get a job because she was on a visa uh, permit to come to America for education. So she went to University of Southern California and got her master's degree in marine biology, and from there she went on to become a veterinarian. And then she didn't like oh, veterinarian wow. medicine, so then she turned back to flying and, and got all the – hours that she needed and she's now flying captain with sky west so oh, that's a her. regional carrier so maybe you've got some things you might advise her i keep telling her she ought to go with the with the majors now if she's built up time and all that and i think that's probably like you did with your career you started with the regionals and then you went up to the majors yeah i mean she has a good job now, now the regionals and the smaller airlines offer you know like you can stay there for your entire career and, and it's it's you know it's a pretty good pretty good careers and the smaller airlines offer some benefits that the larger ones don't like if you want to do the mommy track you can you know for the for the large carriers you're probably going to be international you're going to be gone for a lot of days mm. and um the smaller airlines offer single day trips and shorter you know there's there's pros and cons to it so yeah. she, I'm sure she's probably, I'm sure she could write her own ticket at this point. She could do whatever she wants. So, um, but yeah, I told her, to two, to her. <laughs> I told her two paths to take. One is to go with the majors, which that's what I would do. But she's so uh, smart with the educational background that she has, mm -hmm. with you know science and and uh, and being mm -hmm. a doctor of veterinary medicine and 
uh, flight instructor and all that. I think she would do well in management with SkyWest. SkyWest is what, from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand it's one of the uh, better of the regionals. Yeah, SkyWest is a good company. It really is. I mean, there's the regionals that have really come a long way in that it used to be considered like the training ground for the airlines. They didn't pay the pilots. Um, you know, like we worked below minimum wage. Uh, the benefits were terrible. When I was at um, Eastern, we worked six days a week. We fly 11 flights a day. Um, we had, like, no vacation. Uh, a lot of the pilots were on food stamps because we were eligible for them. That's how low our pay was. Oh, yeah. But it's just not like that oh, anymore. Boy. Yeah, I know. It's, pre- it's, it's pretty scary. Um, uh. But uh, but they knew that you were there to build your hours because you were going to yeah. leave them. You know, it's not like we were using each other. So, um, but now it's it's not like that. Now people go to the to the smaller airlines, and lots of people stay there. And Skywest is a good company. They like good aircraft. They have good schedules. Um, so she could certainly move up to you know United or or somebody if she wanted to. But would, would you mind if I gave her point. your number and talked to you if uh, because you yeah you've absolutely gone gone the route here and and um, uh, she's. Uh, She's very, very well. She's a very smart woman, and like I say, she's from Finland. And uh, so, at any rate, uh, I see Margaret Tabars's hand is raised. So, with your raised <laughs> hand, you have a question, Margaret. I do, and thank you for noticing, uh, Laura. I'm actually interested in knowing a little bit more about the 99s. I know Neil had mentioned something about them to me. And I'm not familiar uh, with that organization, so could you tell me a little bit more about it? And and why is it called 99s? Yeah, that I love that question, Margaret. Thank you. Um, yes, the 99s is an amazing organization. It is uh, the very first uh, woman pilot organization that was founded in 1929, and Amelia Earhart mm-hmm. was the first president. Um, and it wow. um, now we're it's. Uh, they are an international organization. It's a um, it's a uh, 501c3 charitable organization. And what they do, so mm-hmm. I just give you a little background where the, the name came from. So back in the day when uh, aircraft were, were new, um, there were actually quite a number of women uh, that would fly uh, uh, because it was sort of a it was sort of like a wealthy country club sort of endeavor to take on. And so there were actually quite a, a fair number of female pilots um, that would fly recreationally. And um, aviation became a major source of entertainment. They'd have, you know, air, all sorts of like air shows and things like that. But women could participate in those things, but there were air races, air derbies that had huge financial prizes, like $25,000 and uh, huge pots. But they closed all the competition to women. It was men only. And so what happened was in 1929, the uh, women pilots at that time got together and they said, we are going to have our own um, our, our own uh, competition and we're not going to let men in. And we're going to do the same exact thing, but it's going to be all women. And they did that. <laughs> and it turned out to be very, very successful. And it was the Air Derbies, but they actually called it at the time the um, Powder Puff Derby. Because That's I think right. it was Will Rogers, who, mm-hmm. who was like an MC, he made a comment that 
women's genetically or their genes force them to powder their noses before they can fly an airplane. And so oh he powder puff dirt. No, and, and that's actually the name stuck stuck for a very long time. They called it the Powder Puff Derby. And um, in any case, that's where the term Powder Puff came from. I played Powder Puff football in high school, and I never knew the history of it, but that was it. So we can thank Will Rogers for, for, for that. So, so in any case, so there were at the time, um, the, they had opened up an invitation. I think, um, who was it, Louise Fadden was the, uh, she had won the, uh, powder Puster would be the first one that year, and she kind of initiated the whole organization. She was the first secretary, and then Amelia Hart became the first president. And that they invited all the women that had pilot's license at the time. I believe there were 117 of them. Well, yeah. 99 came, and they formed an organization. And just kind of tongue in cheek, since there were 99 female pilots, they said, "Well, we're 99," and that was that just stuck. That was the name. That's the name that they went by, and, and they still do today. So that's where the name the 99s come from. But uh, but today the organization is really amazing. They do a, an enormous amount of um, outreach and education for young women. We have scholarships on the committee uh, uh, scholarship committee chair for the Mid Atlantic section, and um, they have chapters all around the world, and they have workshops that they do for schools. I mean, it's all free. It's all charity, and they're involved in just an enormous amount of different events and outreach programs to help and support and encourage um, young women to enter the fields of aviation. And uh, um, that's it. It's just it's a really good organization. They, they do a lot of good work. Well, thank you for that. I was not familiar with that, but Amelia Earhart has always been one of my uh, favorite historical people. And, in fact, Neil, mm-hmm. we did a show where you – encouraged me, I'll say, to learn to speak with that accent that she had, and I played Amelia Earhart on one of our radio shows. Yeah, and and you did a remarkable job. You sounded so much like her. As a matter of fact, you can hear a lot, not a lot, but several of her speeches, and I think that's probably what you did is listen to her speak, Mm, and uh, you did a wonderful job of of creating her voice for our show. Yeah. Am I on the air, Neil? Yes, you are, Brenda. I was okay. going to come up with you next to see if you have a question <laughs> <Okay>. for Laura. <laughs> I just, well, I just wanted to say that um, on one of our uh, conventions in Omaha for Silverliners, um, one of our mm-hmm. outings was to the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum. Mm-hmm. They have mm-hmm. an incredible um, display on female pilots from the very beginning. Uh, photographs wow. and the races you're talking about and all of this stuff. It's really nice. That's quite the museum. If you ever get out there, anybody. Uh, I, I would love to go see that. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, they have a stealth just hanging in front of you from the ceiling. And yeah. they just have old planes, new planes, engines just sitting there. It's, you know, the history, the, I can't remember what, uh, I'm going to say it wrong. Was it the black pilots during the war, Tuskegee, or? Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, information on uh, them, and, it, yeah, it's a wonderful museum, so if you ever get a chance, but, yeah, there's a big spread on the female pilots, and uh, quite amazing. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Did you? Yeah, uh, Tuskegee. Go, go ahead, Laura. Mm-hmm. No, she said, yeah, the, the Tuskegee Airmen on um, made a huge contribution 
uh, during World oh, War II, and yeah. they're only really just recently getting the recognition that they deserve. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's true. Uh, did you ever do any aerobatics, Laura, in your flying days? Well, um, not officially, <laughs> uh, but I, not I certainly <laughs> not officially. Uh, I mean, uh, back in my teenage years, um, I would take you know a Cessna up, and I would. I could. I was pretty good at doing barrel rolls, loops, spins, yeah. um, all sorts of stuff that or be classified as aerobatics, and I don't think would be legal to do today <laughs> without proper aircraft and certification. But yeah. at the time, you know, I, I would go up and do all sorts of crazy stuff like that. Um, but no, I was never an acrobatic aerobatic pilot, technically. Okay. May I well, add uh, one thing there? We. We did on a DC-10. Mm-hmm. Um, what? It, it was at, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was, um, what's Canada's equivalent of FAA? Isn't that awful? I'm from Canada, and I can't even think of the name. But anyway. Canadian um, Aeronautics Administration. Yeah, they, they decided to do a simulation of a rapid decompression. And so a few of us as flight attendants were chosen to, you know, man the doors and then the only people on board were from the government. And uh, then up and took it into a nose dive down to 14,000 mm-hmm. feet from, I think, 39,000. And it was the most amazing thing I had ever, you know. Now, we got in trouble for it because it's too <laughs> stressful on the aircraft. But <laughs> yeah, but it's the fuselage yeah. was just banging as it was going, it was like bang, bang, bang. It was it was an amazing experience. Oh. Um, I don't know who thought to do that, but nonetheless, it was done. So, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't exactly an aerobatic, <laughs> but it was darn close. You you can you know pretty much do uh, anything in any aircraft if you you know if you want to. <laughs> Not recommended, but. Um, you know, I, I've heard I've heard tales that um, a couple of pilots at United years back barrel rolled a 737 when they were ferrying it. So <laughs> I'm not saying that's true, but it can be done. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And there, there's always Hoot Gibson, and everybody, I think the old pilots recognize Hoot Gibson. I don't know if you've heard that name, uh, Laura, or not. A TWA captain that uh, stalled the airplane at thirty some thousand feet and <laughs> leveled off at the about gi- five thousand feet. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, yeah, he put the uh, slats down. He he was, uh, but at any rate, that's neither here nor there. Uh, I, I would like <laughs> to say that a lot of the uh, the ninety uh, nines, uh, I was. Uh, a friend of, as a matter of fact, she was my boss, Mary Gaffney, uh, in Miami, mm-hmm. who was the three times international world champion female pilot, uh, aerobatic pilot. She won the aerobatic for three consecutive years, and she was a 99, and that's the that's how I heard of the wow. 99s. Yeah, and she did the Powder Buff Derbies, as you mentioned, Laura, and I didn't know they'd abandoned yeah. that name, the Powder Buff Derbies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, unofficially, but that's what it was called for. Okay. Yeah. All right. For many years. 
And Sharon, I uh, haven't heard from you. Do you have a question for Laura? Uh, well, I have to say I'm very envious. <laughs> when I was in high school, I was on the library council, and I got a hold of a book, book about uh, General Claire Chenault, who flew for the Flying Tigers. Uh-huh. And I became so interested in flying. I mean, I was told at the time that I couldn't be a pilot because that was the era I was from. <laughs> but yeah. I became a flight attendant with Eastern. And then as towards the end of my career, as I was getting older, then I saw a couple of female pilots and I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> but I thought, oh, gee, I was born too late. Or too early, <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> but I did go yeah. up a couple times with my ex-husband um, and flew, so that was fun. But we had kids at the time, so <laughs> what, I, what can I next, say? Your next time around. <laughs> yeah, yeah my next life. I always think I'll come back as a bird. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, Laura. Now you you are you have one child. Uh, did you say? I, I have I two sons. Two sons, two sons. Are both in college. Now that mm-hmm. was pretty tough mm-hmm. to manage while you were getting along with your career, wasn't it? It was very tough. Yes, it, it was. It was, and that's why you know my the book that I wrote, Jet Boss. I write it from a woman's perspective. You know what it's like to have this job and this career, but like the woman's take on it, and. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of books out there about flying, but most of them are written from a guy, you know, and how they see it and how they experience it. But it's different. It's different if you're if you're a mom and you've got kids at home, so for sure. It, it's a, it's a challenge. You have to you really have to have um, support at home. Uh, however, you find that it could be family, it could be you know a nanny that just becomes a part of your family. Uh, but you have to have someone at home that you really trust to take care of your children because you will not be there for a you know, good good part of a uh, good part of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Do they, yeah. Do either one of them uh, have interest in flying? You know, not in flying. So my one of my sons is in A&P school, um, so he's going to be an aircraft mechanic, and he's got about a year left till he graduates, and he's doing really well. So he loves aviation and the industry. He's going to be behind the scenes. Um, which is, you know, the backbone of the industry, the the people that maintain yeah. the aircraft. And and um, my other son is at Purdue um, in engineering, which is my alma mater, you know, go Boilers. And he likes to uh, design and build um, new technology. He's most interested in uh, race cars, which is kind of like kind of like airplanes. His his passion, he gets excited about like. NASCAR and Indy 500 and all that like I get about airplanes. So, um, you know, it didn't hit, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree there. But uh, yeah, they're both doing their own thing now, and I'm pretty proud of them. They're good, good boys. You know, That's back great. in the day that Jim Harris and I came up uh, with Eastern, we were hired in the early '60s, and uh, of course we uh, started uh, just pretty much like you. Some of us were military and some of us were general aviation. And uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I remember back in the day that uh, I was uh, first hired, the captain was the boss. I mean, the boss. 
and uh, mm-hmm. his word yeah. was uh, his word was God's word, and uh, and we 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 wanted to show respect and and uh, we wanted to fly by the rules and things like that. But in today's, you know, it's a, it's a uh, crew management. It's it's still the the authority of the you know the captain's responsibility for the flight and all. But it's more of a team effort nowadays. So why did you title your book Jet Boss, Laura? Jet Boss. Well, it was kind of a default title actually. The title was originally. The sky is not the limit, because I think saying the sky is the limit is a pretty low bar. Um, and then I, that didn't work because there was another book by that title. Then I changed the title to um, This Is Your Captain Speaking. And then I found out that Captain Scooping from the Love Boat had a book out called This Is Your Captain um, And then I went through, like, I can't, like, probably another 20 titles, and every title I came up with um, was taken. Somebody had it somewhere. I mean, Amazon, there's, I don't know, like a million titles. Yeah. So Jet Boss is the one that no one else took. Honestly, that's the reason. And okay. um, when you're at work, the captain's called Boss. Like, hey, Boss. That's kind of like yeah. the captain's nickname. And the mechanics will come up and say, hey, Boss. So I'm like, you know what? Jet Boss. I say, hey, Cake Boss, Wine Boss, whatever. I, I can do that. And uh, it kind of stuck. It stuck, and it wasn't rejected by Amazon. So there you go. I don't know how recent your your career uh, was uh, when you when you retired. Uh, w- when did you retire from the airlines, Laura? Yeah, so it's been a number of years now because I so I I'm, I'm not even retired. I'm medically grounded. Um, oh, so I'm okay. I'm on I'm on uh, like long term sick leave because I okay. hurt my neck and so I can't pass my medical and then the company grounded me whatever. I won't get into all that, but, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. so I am, I'm not flying because I can't pass my medical, but I'm not technically retired. So I'm sort of in this limbo state. Well, how is the atmosphere in the cockpits these days? Because back in Jim Harrison, my day, when we were co-pilots, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, we call each other about once a week and talk about the old days, and uh, right, Jim? That is correct. Okay, I thought you might have gone to sleep on me. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> I'm just listening. <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm, I'm awake. I'm awake. <laughs> but we've shared many stories about captains that we didn't like and uh, and the ones that we wanted to be, you know, we wanted to grow up to be just like. What is the atmosphere yeah. in, the, in the cockpit today, uh, Laura. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I actually write quite a bit. Uh, uh, so, um, it, you know, I don't think it's changed that much in that there are guys that you really enjoy flying with, and you're like, oh, this is this is when I want grow up to be a captain someday. This is how I want to treat my crew. Yeah. And then there's those captains that, for whatever reason, you know, it's like, oh goodness, I can't wait for this trip to be over yeah. for for all okay. different reasons. <laughs> um, yeah, same old, but, same old. But I, it is, but you know, it's it's um, the captain is still command authority is still in charge. They're still yeah. the captain. They're still the boss. Um, th- what they say is the final the final decision. And um, but I think as you were touching on, we have CRM now on um, crew crew resource management, and it's a team philosophy in that everybody on the aircraft um, is respected, their opinion is valued, and um, it's there's definitely recognition that like 
all the pilots are trained, highly skilled professionals, and um, they all contribute to the safety of the flight. And, you know, I always had a philosophy when I was a captain, you know, one of us can't make a mistake without both of us making a mistake. Yeah. And that very much that very much is, I think, the way that the um, the whole crew concept works. And it's mm-hmm. easier on everybody because for a captain to have, you know, all that weight on him or her and um, not get the input from uh, from the other crew members, that's a lot that's a that's a lot of work, a lot of stress. Um, so it's actually easier on the captains and I think easier on the first officers that you can talk and you can, you know, equally express yourselves and, and troubleshoot and discuss and everybody's opinion is valued as a as a professional. So um overall I don't think the atmosphere has changed that much in that you're still in the cockpit in charge and hopefully everybody gets along and plays nice. Um but uh uh yeah, but it has changed in the respect that, you know, you no longer have to sit in your hands and shut up if you're not the captain. Um, yeah. You can, you know, equally, uh, you know, speak and, and um, you know, I, I, there's whatever. It, there, there's there's really not a lot of conflict, I don't think, anymore in cockpits, other yeah. than maybe talking politics. You've got to keep away from politics these days. So yeah. There's a lot of different opinions there. But as far as right. flying goes, um, it, it is, it's a lot of teamwork, and um, the, the one thing about being an airline pilot versus, like, I don't know, like driving a car is every single person in the cockpit is a highly trained professional, and um, they really know what they're doing. And so I, I think for that reason, everybody's respected and treated with respect. You know, I have a question. Sorry, Neil, you go ahead. No, no, I was going to talk about the Silverliners and and uh, flight uh, attendants. They're highly trained. And we've we've had a lot of shows with flight attendants, uh, first responders, and uh, those that have survived uh, uh, crashes uh, on our radio mm-hmm. show. And the training these uh, these flight attendants receive, uh, they are very highly trained. Trained. Did you want to speak to that? Uh, uh, I actually wanted to. I, I wanted to ask about um, is CRM. Does anybody know is CRM uh, taught around the world? I'm thinking of cultural differences. You know, with the um, uh, the male authority thing, such as happened with what was it? was it Malaysia or Thai Airlines out in San Francisco? There, it's in my book. Yeah. Um, yeah, when they came in for a landing in San Francisco, yeah. they landed in the bay instead of on the runway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they landed yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, but the, the problem was um, I, with them still, I think they, yeah, they told the flight attendants not to evacuate yet. Now, again, oh. as I've said with my airline, even back in the 80s, we had the authority to initiate an evacuation as flight attendants without the cockpit's approval or, or even knowledge. And the reason for that is total sense because they don't have rear view mirrors and they could be dead. And every second counts in getting people yeah. out. And there's never been a problem with that, with the, um, you know, the airlines that did adopt that. But just when we were talking or you were talking CRM, which has been so wonderful, um, and, of course, now, yes, it is the whole crew concept, meaning the cabin crew as well. I just wondered if it has mm-hmm. been adopted 
in other countries around the world because I, North America certainly has, and I think Britain, but anybody know? Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I mean, I can't certainly speak for every country, but um, it absolutely has been adopted and has become um, just the um, recognized um, recognized uh, way to carry yourself in the cockpit now, CRM. It's, uh, it was, I, I believe United Airlines is the one that initiated it. So, so do you know where CRM came from? Like, like where this whole concept even started? No. Anybody? No. All right. So what happened was um, back in the seventies, there was the, um, the KLM Tenerife crash, right? And yes. that was when a KLM aircraft and a Pan Am aircraft had a nose to nose collision on the runway. And yes. the, um, so when this happened, uh, and they listened to the cockpit voice recorders, they realized that the KLM captain took off without a takeoff clearance, yeah. and the uh, flight engineer on that 747 knew that Pan Am was still on the runway. They, it's a long story, but um, yeah. they, Pan Am was back taxiing, and they ended up having a collision in, in bad weather. any case, so they realized that this perfectly good aircraft crashed for no other reason than captain authority, you know, um, ruled the cockpit and that the other pilots had a different opinion was completely disregarded. So NASA ended up doing a humans factor study and they came to the conclusion, basically the basis, the premise of CRM was we need to have more teamwork, we need to have less captain's authority. Uh, other people, if they see something, they need to be able to speak up and be recognized. Right. And the, the flight engineer did speak up but the captain did not recognize what he, he did not, um, he just disregarded what he said. So CRM yes. didn't start right at that moment. But then one year later, United Airlines um, had a crash in, oh gosh, let me think. I think it was in Portland, Oregon, and um, a wide body. But in any case, they were coming into land. They had a gear problem, and they legitimately did have a gear problem. And they went off to circle and to troubleshoot it. And when they did that, they ran out of fuel. And yeah. um, the flight engineer was aware that they were running out of fuel, and the captain was kind of out of the loop. I don't think he was disregarding the information as much as he was focusing on trying to fix the gear. In any case, there was a breakdown of communication. And then that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. And then United Airlines said, okay, we need to change our training philosophy. We need to have everybody in the cockpit speaking, communicating, working together, and um, that was it. So United invented the concept of, I think they called it CLR back then, cockpit learning, I'm not even sure what the CLR stood for, but now it's crew resource management, so it includes flight attendants, it includes everybody, and that was how it started. And okay, other I'm countries with both have of those, adopted yeah. it. Yeah, yeah other okay. countries have adopted it, and uh, I don't can't say that, they all have. I, I don't know. Like I don't know mm -hmm. every country, but it is it is pretty well recognized around the world. Yes. Oh, that is so good, so necessary. Yeah, because there's been several accidents over that exact thing, you know, and uh, because yeah. a lot of the first officers were a little bit afraid of the captain and the captain's authority well, and what he could yeah. do for their yeah, so they wouldn't speak up. So yeah, so, I mean, it's that's, uh, fascinating. That's the, the evolution. Thought. The most common thought is that people are afraid of the captain. I think that was true to an extent, but I think probably a bigger factor was just the fact that other pilots just didn't speak up. 
even if they had a captain who would have been receptive, it just wasn't their place right. to speak up. And so they just changed how everybody viewed their position, you know, in the cockpit and, and the flight attendants, because obviously the pilots don't have eyes and ears in the back of the aircraft. And if a flight attendant is back there and she smells smoke or, you know, um, hears something that, you know, she shouldn't be hearing, uh, like from our hydraulic pumps or whatever, they, you know, the pilots very much want the flight attendants to bring that information to them. It's really right. important. It's really important that we use everybody on board. And so that's, you know, that's really the whole, the whole um, basis of the concept is everybody has value to contribute and um, we need to share that information and openly communicate with each other. It, you know, it's, it's certainly sad to, to know that the CRM came about because of accidents and crashes and deaths and, uh, it, it's frightening, but uh, yet uh, Jim Harris and I were just talking yesterday, I think it was, about the old days when we first got on the 727. Eastern was the first one to fly that airplane, and and uh, we would get on with captains, and this was back in the 60s, and the captain would say, okay, and he'd raise his hand up over the overhead and part it down the middle and he says everything on this side is mine and everything on that side is yours the checklist is done that way when you fly with me and the engineer is on his own in the back panel he's got that whole panel and in other words we didn't read the checklist back in those days with some captains and mm. yeah. lo and behold here yeah, you know it, it took crashes after crashes it, it it's kind of scary when I come to think of it and, yeah, uh, yeah, that's what we learned yeah, that, from that, experience. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely changed a lot. It, it, the, the old cowboy, you know, mentality yeah. is really gone out out that's the right. window. But now we have you can't get away with anything today. Everything's monitored, recorded, tracked. You know, information, all your flight data is sent, you know, to the company yeah. to the FAA. So if you're too fast, too high, you know, if you do anything wrong, you're. It's not like just between you and the other pilot. You yeah, know, it's like the whole yeah. world knows it. That's right. So yeah. um, everybody crosses their T's and dots their I's, Yeah, know, for sure. Well, Jim, I guess we were cowboy pilots back in the day. I, th I think we were. Well, Captain Jim Harris has a comment. Whenever yeah. we were doing a real approach, of course, I always had a second officer or I was captain. And somewhere along the way, before it was necessary, I'd always give the second officer the approach plate so he would know what we were doing. And somewhere along the way, at some appropriate point, I was asked here about, is, okay, is everybody happy with this approach? Because if you're not, say so now. Oh, good. Because I might, I might not see something that uh, you yeah. might be aware of, so don't sit on your hands and bite your tongue. Mm -hmm. Tell me yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. And there were and a lot of great out. captains, even before CRM, that were exactly like that. You know, there's just yes. no exception. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You're right. But most captains were were good were good guys. Absolutely, yeah. A wow. little odd at times. <laughs> when I think back then, we had one who uh, every time we took off, it was seven four seven pilot. <laughs> he would put up green paisley curtains across the cockpit windows. <laughs> oh. Well, the sun is, I have to tell you, the sun is really, really intense at altitude. Oh, yeah. Above the ozone. Yeah. We would yeah. stuff our windows with, like, we'd get first-class pillows, and we would stuff the pillows uh, around the cockpit windows um, just because we were burning up. 
So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that. Now we have screens. You can just put stickers up there and still see outside. We don't do that anymore. And I think we probably technically weren't allowed to. But, you know, you're flying like a 14-hour flight over the ocean, and the sun never sets um, yeah. you know, because you're flying against the, the rotation of the earth. So it's like the sun is just beating on you hour after hour. And, yeah, you know, you come up with different ways to just get in the shade. It's out of desperation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you know. <laughs> or, or we had a Calgary fellow who uh, he'd put a noose. No, not a noose. No, that's the wrong word. Um, rodeo. What is it? A lasso. <laughs> a lasso <laughs> on the cockpit floor. You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot of jokers. Well, you know, Neil. I mean, so many, so many oh, fun times my, up there that. Yeah, I had my own bag of jokes that was in my flight bag, you know, and I. <laughs> I, I I did my share of that, but uh, fortunately um, I'm still alive, and, and uh, I think I managed a pretty good airplane and had the respect of my crew. I did. Uh, I'm sure. Almost screwed it up one time. Uh, I'll have to tell Laura this one. I've told it several times on the show, but I'll try to keep it quickly because we our time constraints here. But I was uh, doing TDY up at New York uh, on the shuttle, on the Eastern Flight uh, Air Shuttle. And uh, I went up there to get more money, I guess, and uh, temporary duty. And it was a blizzard of 78 at the same time I was there. But uh, when I first went out to the airplane on the shuttle at LaGuardia, got on the airplane, didn't know any of the New York crew. And here I was Atlanta captain, and, and uh, the flight attendant came up, and, and she said, the senior flight attendant, and she said, uh, do you have any instructions for me, captain? And I said, no, I don't think so. Just uh, if you've done your job. And, uh, and then when, before she left, I said, oh, there's one thing. Uh, if we mm-hmm. ditch in the Atlantic, I said, would you get the liquor kit and get in my raft? And, uh, <laughs> and I thought that was a funny southern joke, you know. And uh, she left. She said she said, sure. <laughs> and uh, the door closed, and the co-pilot, New York Coast pilot, said, you know who she was? And I said, yeah, she was senior flight attendant. And I didn't have anything else to tell her. And he said, uh, no, she was the flight attendant that survived Flight 66 at New York that crashed and killed everybody on board. And uh, the two flight attendants survived that flight, and she was one of them. And fortunately, Uh we had a layover in Miami, and and we went to dinner that night, uh, the crew, and uh, I apologized to her. And uh, she said, no, no, no. She said, no. It was okay, and I asked her, I said, uh, you're still flying? She said, yeah. She said, I kind of grab the uh, whatever I can if it's a dark, stormy night, and uh, and we're, we're on the landing approach between the outer marker and the, and the runway. She said, I kind of get, get a grip of things, and uh, but she was a wonderful flight attendant, and uh, she just survived that. But anyhow, that was yeah, my that southern was, joke that, was a that winter backfired project. on me. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm sure she got it. I mean, yeah. pilots had a terrible sense of humor pretty much all of them back then, so I'm sure she heard it every day. Now, Laura, I'm glad you said pilots and, and, and didn't single out the male pilots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, it kind of comes with the territory, the bad humor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, gotta be able to laugh. Can you tell us how we can order your book? 
Um, yeah, sure. So uh, probably the best way is if you just go to my my website. I have a link right in front of my website that brings you right to Amazon and pretty much any place you want to buy it. But it's um, – so my website is just my name, 747, so it's lauracevino747.com, which is just L-A-U-R-A-S-A-V-I-N-O, 747.com. And um, if you go there, I actually have a lot of other information. Like I have a tab in the back you can fly that has all sorts of information, links to aviation scholarships, educational opportunities, all the different organizations that I've talked about, pretty much anything you could, um, any resource that I could think of, I've, I've put there. So um, lots, of, lots of good information. I ordered and it already. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's available yeah. on... Um, Soft cover, hard cover, Kindle, and oh gosh, I guess I have a big announcement. General, I it just, just, just I haven't told anybody this yet. Came out on Audible. I recorded it myself, so I oh, haven't wow. even listened to it yet. So I'm a little bit afraid to tell anybody because it could be very embarrassing. I don't know, but um, <laughs> they just released it on iTunes and Amazon and Audible. If somebody wants to hear my voice, um, yeah, that that's it. I'm a little hesitant to push that, but hopefully, crossing my fingers, it's not too embarrassing. Oh, good for you. Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to reading it for sure. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. I'm trying to to give the inside scoop of what really goes on in the cockpit, like, like from a woman's perspective, but... Really more important than that, I, I'm trying to make STEM, you know, um, just, uh, you know, uh, those kind of fields, STEM fields, I, I want to make it more um, relatable to, to kids because this is our next generation. And, you know, it's yeah. time for me to pass the torch. And we really have to get more young people interested in aviation. As much as, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's more awareness, there still is very not, not a whole lot of exposure aviation fields and um, not just being a pilot, which of course is the best, you know, the best job in aviation, but all the other occupations, you know, dispatchers, meteorologists, mechanics, flight attendants, um, you know, you work for an airline. It's a really good, you know, really good job, really good career, great benefits. Um, Big, big companies take care of you. And um, I think that there's still a lot of young kids that know they can be doctors and lawyers or go into politics and all these other things. But really, there's not a huge awareness out there yet when it comes to all the aviation careers. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm that's good. Trying, to, trying to get that up. Yeah, yeah, that's my goal. That's really good. Okay. Thanks. Are you still there, Neil? What? Yeah, there, uh, <laughs> I forgot I <laughs> muted. I went through a coughing <laughs> session there and uh, didn't want you to... <clears throat> Listen to coughing, but uh, at any rate, I forget to undo my button here. Uh, I was saying that there was so much more uh, that uh, you could tell us about training and things like that, um, and I'm sure you've got that on your website too, uh, Laura. Did, didn't I see some uh, things uh, that uh, you have for people, young people wanting to make career careers out of uh, aviation? I yeah. Yeah, so, I, I sure do. So. So go to the You Can Fly tab, and I have, like, truly, I have, yeah. I have a link. I think right now it's $6.2 million 
in um, scholarships that are just aviation scholarships. And wow. a lot of these scholarships, they go unfilled because people just don't know about them. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of these out there. And, you know, there's Young Eagles, there's the 99s, there's a whole list. But, um, yeah. yeah, go, Is there go an to my age website limit? if you have any interest at all. An age yeah. limit. Uh, for to, someone um, to become a pilot. 17. Like, can you be too old? To, to, oh, no, gosh. <laughs> Um, no, well, so to be a pilot, you have to pass a medical exam. And yeah. so um, you could be too old in that you can't pass the medical, but there is no age limit, no. no. Yeah, it's interesting just because, as we all know, there's such a shortage of pilots. And everybody's thinking young people, which is great, but I'm going to be honest. When I get on a small aircraft, like when I fly down to Florida or whatever, um I worry because they're very young. Like, they look about 14, the two of them. And no matter how you cut it, we all know when you get older, you get a little bit wiser and you look at things differently. So I was just wondering if some people who may be in a career, maybe he's working in a bank and he's 35 years old or 38, uh-huh. could he become a pilot? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's actually quite young in your 30s. So, so 65 is the retirement age to be a pilot. I mean, you can get hired, you know, at 45, and you still have two decades ahead of you. So, in yeah. fact, we hire, um, like, when, when I was hired, and this is back in the, you know, very long time ago, decades ago, in my new hire class, there were quite a few retired military pilots that were well into their 40s. And um, this was back okay. when it was really competitive to get an airline job. So now, you know, being in your 40s is, is nothing. Uh, okay. It's not disqualifying in any way. The airlines would, you know, they have they would eat you right up. So, um, and but I'm just going to make one comment about the 14 year old pilots. So although yep. they may appear young, any yeah. pilot who is in the cockpit is is highly trained. They've passed all their check rides. They've been scrutinized. Um, you know, they don't let appearances fool you because. They are probably really, really sharp and super, super confident. Um, they may look young, but believe me, they wouldn't be there unless they really could do the job and they knew what they were doing. And yeah, it's unlike a good other point. occupations, pilots are very, very, very scrutinized. We have check rides, you know, every nine months for the rest of your life. Whereas I yeah. don't know of any other occupation that um, is, you know, just. Uh, poked and prodded and examined uh, by third parties like like pilots are. Yeah, mm-hmm. so. yeah, exactly. No, it's true what you're saying. And some of them are, well, I've seen that in a lot of areas where they're, they're even more keen. It's just, you know, you can't yeah. worry about the level of experience in odd and unexpected and developing situations, you know, uh, and, and situations. Brenda. Brenda, that mm-hmm. goes for the uh, cabin crew. Also, take a, a yes. continuing education, as you would call it, you know, in, yes. in the non-aviation world. But uh, you guys go through check checks too, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Recurrent training every year. Yeah, and, recurrent um, training. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But what worries me about the new—well, I hate to say it—but the new generation of flight attendants. Uh, when they're young, and now a lot of airlines are hiring p- flight attendants in their 60s right now mm-hmm. because they're finding that uh, there's a um, resilience problem or lack of resilience. <laughs> um, 
they were not bought up. It's the whole culture uh, in our schools. They were not bought up with a sense of duty. They were not bought up with commitment. <laughs> they were bought up instead with you count. You must put yourself first in all this. Well, that doesn't work in an evacuation situation because you're going to get some people who are standing at the door going, screw this, I get such a low pay. I'm not going to die in here. And that worries me because there's such a legacy of flight attendants doing the opposite and staying until they die. And so um, that that is something, and I I say the resilience because I know that this has been discussed in cabin training, that an example is, um, uh, you know, a single uh, flight attendant, so it's a regional carrier, and they have a gear problem. And so she's, you know, told of it and briefs and everything, and that's fine, and they manage to land, everything's just fine. But she calls in and books off for stress. Well, no, no, no. (laughs) That isn't good enough. You know what I mean? Like, that's ridiculous. You have to have more strength and commitment, et cetera, than that. So they are facing that. And uh, I'm not saying that about the pilots at all. But certainly in the flight attendants, um, it it is a bit of a worry. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, they're very very different occupations, flight attendant pilot. It, uh, for pilots Absolutely. to become a pilot, they're going to be dedicated to it for many years before an airline yeah. will even touch them. So, um, you know, that yeah. they've, they've proven that, that this is, that they've got the right stuff and that they're devoted and dedicated and um, determined, you yeah. know, and, and they have to work together to, you know, to make it to that level. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's their, such an their first interesting... job is not with an airline. Yeah, a pilot's first job is flying single pilot. You know, like by the time you get to an airline, you've already been a pilot for many years. So um, yeah. we don't even have flight attendants at, yet. At you know, the the careers that pilots had, you have to reach a certain level before you even are on an aircraft that requires flight attendants. Yes. And so by the time you get to the airlines, you already have a lot of experience for flight attendants. Obviously, their first job is going to be on with an air, you know, a, a larger carrier where they require flight attendants the aircraft. Right. So that's a new that's a new hire position, but it's not a new hire position for pilots. Yeah. Working for yeah. an airline. Yeah. Yeah. yeah interesting perfect. field. If we have a roundtable discussion like we've had in the past, some of the past shows, we had Amber Riddle, the uh, dean of the aviation department there on a roundtable along with Christine Negroni and also Carlene Pettit, Petit, or Pettit, I can never pronounce her last Pettit. name. you got it. Pettit, Pettit yeah. Yes, yes. And uh, what a wonderful uh-huh. discussion we had during those roundtable meetings that we had about uh, just about everything, mostly safety and uh, Laura, I'd yeah. like to call upon you if I could during if we do have any more of these shows because uh, I really I really enjoy listening to you today and and your thoughts. It's been great. Yeah, well, thank you, absolutely, Neil. Uh, I I had a lot of fun, so I'm okay. You know, appreciate uh, being invited. Thank you. It's a little different than TV, but uh, radio's <laughs> been a long a, a long time around a long time before television came around. Mm -hmm. But here's something you've got to listen to 
when we sign off. I'm over time here with my time allotment, but that's okay because it, uh, the discussion was very interesting and enjoyable and informative. Yeah. So you've got to hear how we sign off some of our shows. And um, uh, Merle Haggard is involved, and so is Hop Harrigan. So I'm going to let Hop Harrigan land the airplane. And uh, you guys have a wonderful Christmas coming up. And we won't have a show next week, but uh, we'll come back the first of the year and have our next show. And uh, so Merry Christmas to all of you, and stay safe. Uh, keep the blue side Happy up. Holiday. Is that what they say, Laura? Keep the blue side up. Keep the blue side up, yep. Nothing yeah. but tailwinds yeah. and, uh, and well, the clean one up, the dirty one down. There you go. And I bet you a dollar you haven't heard this guy land an airplane. Here here he is, Laura. This is just for you. Feeling well, hundred, all clear. Okay, this is Hulk Harrigan coming in. radio aviation show back in the 40s mm-hmm. and uh, we sometimes let him land our airplane shows and uh, Merle Haggard usually sings us out with this song Silver Wings love it guys thanks have a wonderful Christmas and New Year's nice to see you everyone you too you too Neil everybody thank you Neil great talking to you thank you Leaving me lonely Silver wing Slowly fading out of sight Don't leave me, I cry Don't take that airplane ride But you locked me out of your mind And left me standing here behind Silver wings Shining in the sunlight Roaring engines Headed somewhere in flight They're taking you away Leaving me lonely Silver wings Slowly fading out of sight Taking you away and leaving me lonely. Silver wings slowly fading out of.
Bye-bye.